Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. So this morning, as we were kind of talking through this with Spencer and Jordan and other leadership, the idea was for the focus of the message this morning to be on starting to work on the healing, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, and dealing with healing and tongues. Okay? I don't know who thought that was a funny idea. Last time y'all had me speak, it was on the wrath of God. And then it's like, hey, speak on tongues and healing. So... For the life of me, okay, so to be transparent, I'm, there are a lot of things in life that I'm really not good at. I am not good at multitasking, and I'm also terrible at segues. So I could not figure out, as I was wrestling with this message, how to work healing and tongues into the same sermon. So here's what I'm going to do, okay? Just owning it up front. There's going to be no segue. There's going to be no transition. I'm going to spend a few minutes at the start talking about tongues, And then we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about healing. Is that okay? Okay. And I'm going to try to make this uh, as simple as I possibly can. Um, I have a learning disability. And so, like, literally my whole life, if anything, once something becomes complicated, I tap out. This is why I'm married. My wife is a certified uh, learning disability teacher. (laughs) It's not the only reason that I married her, but it was one of the reasons. Okay. So I have to, like, figure out how, how to make something simple, how to wrestle it down to its root, which can sometimes be a curse, but I also think, honestly, sometimes it can be a gift, too. So I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. If you're uh, interested in Scripture when it comes to the gift of tongues, really you start and end in 1 Corinthians 14. And we're not going to read that, but I would just encourage you, and I'm sure uh, that that this afternoon in the teaching, there's going to be a lot of talk about 1 Corinthians 14, which talks about a lot of the spiritual gifts. And Paul really, I love the way that he really lays it on the line when it comes to speaking in tongues and really puts speaking in tongues in its place. It's not the preeminent gift. It's not the mark of someone who has surrendered their life to Christ. Don't ever listen to anybody that tells you that because it's not that. In fact, he... he he, he very clearly makes it subservient to gifts like prophecy and teaching. But speaking in tongues does have, it, have its place. And he says specifically, do not forbid it. Because it is a practice that is beneficial for us as followers of Christ. And really the rule is, there's kind of two different, I don't know if they're two different gifts or two different expressions of the same gift, but you have people who might speak in tongues in public, and Paul goes, okay, if you're going to speak in tongues in public, somebody's got to interpret that. Either you interpret it, pray that God will give you the gift of interpretation, or somebody else up in there has got to have the gift of interpretation, or you really shouldn't be doing it in public because it needs to be interpreted. And then there's this um, where Paul talks about praying in tongues, and he says that he prays in tongues more than anybody else. So this obviously was like a central part of his spiritual life. So he's not demeaning the gift in any way. It helped him cultivate intimacy with God in Christ Jesus. And so that is a private gift that is sometimes referred to as a prayer language. I don't think prayer language, I don't think that term is ever used in scripture. 
is it? To my knowledge, it's not. But anyway, that's, that's what it is. So the, the, prayer, the cultivation of the prayer language can help us when it comes to our intimacy with God. And uh, this really isn't about prayer, but all prayer does two things, y'all. Prayer will always deepen our intimacy with God. We know that. And that's the primary reason that we pray is to deepen our intimacy with God. But prayer also will intensify God's activity in the world around us. Prayer always does those two things. It takes us deeper with God and it somehow intensifies His spiritual activity in us and also through us in the world around us. So, for me personally, this was probably 10 years ago. Um, I had always been one of those that was like, speaking in tongues. I was that guy. But there was a night... Let's see, my son is 12 now. He was one or two at this time, and uh, he was having some, I think he was, he has asthma, so he was having some difficulty sleeping. So this one night I was sleeping on his floor in his room. Any of y'all parents been there? It's always way too bright in those rooms. That was always my problem, trying to sleep in my kids' room. It's like, how are y'all sleeping with this so bright in here? But I was laying there on the floor, and I couldn't sleep, and I make it my general rule that if I, if I can't sleep, I try to pray. And so I'm just laying there talking to God, and I, in my prayer life with God that night, I hit something, and I won't tell you what it was because it's not really important, but I hit something that I needed to pray about, but for which I had no words. And I think most of us have those things And we want to pray about everything, but we have some things that are so deep down in us that we don't have words for them. We don't know how to pray about them. And so what we generally do is we just don't pray about them. And so what I did that night, normally that's what I would do when I I would hit those things and I would be like, oh man, that's deep and I just don't know, I don't have any words for it. I would just move on to something else. I would just leave that off. But that particular night, I stayed with it. And I just kept pushing into that hard place, and I didn't have words for it. And what emerged out of that was a prayer language. And something broke loose, and I would say down deep inside of me, something broke loose, and I was able to pray from a deeper place. And since then, I've been able to pray from a deeper place, even if I'm not using my prayer language, which I don't always do. But still, there are those things for which I need to pray, for which I have no words. And so my encouragement to you is simply this, okay? Again, this this is not a matter of saved, unsaved, heaven. This is not a matter of that. This is simply a matter of you getting closer to God. And God has, maybe, maybe this is a way for you to get closer to God. I don't think it's that for everybody. Um, I knew a man once who was a, who was a Quaker, and he said that he, he felt like what Quakers experienced in silence is the same thing that a charismatic experienced when they prayed in tongues. So however you got to get there, but we got to get there somehow. Those places inside of us, and only you and God knows, uh, know where those places are, to identify those places in your prayer closet at some point, and don't stop praying. Use whatever words you have to use. And when you run out of words, God will give you new words. God will give you some way to express that. He wouldn't give you that burden if he didn't want you to express it. That's all I have on tongues.
So that's my encouragement to you. This is also the first time I've ever talked about speaking in tongues in public. So anyway, I just give you that. I give you that encouragement. Okay, so now we're, er, this is my segue. Now we're talking about healing. All right, we good? So I'm going to say a few statements about the healing ministry of Jesus. And y'all in some way, shape, or form express your consent that yes, this is true. Okay. First is this, Jesus was a healer. Okay. They get harder. All right. Jesus healed out of his compassion for people. So in other words, Jesus, uh, Jesus didn't do party tricks. He wasn't just walking around trying to impress people and like, y'all watch this. You know what I mean? We won't talk about the, 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 whole, the whole wine thing. That's a different thing. But Jesus didn't do party tricks. Even the wine thing, y'all, guess what? Some people think that was the greatest instance of mass healing because that water in those days was not fit to drink unless it had been fermented because it was full of bacteria. So these people who are already inebriated start drinking that water and a whole lot of people get sick. Okay? So it wasn't like, hey, watch this. I'm going to turn this into... I'm going to turn this into wine. So Jesus healed out of his compassion for people. Third, these healings were done by the Father through Jesus. This is important. These healings were done by the Father through Jesus. Jesus himself says in John chapter 5, verse 19, I assure you that the Son cannot do anything by himself except what he sees the Father doing. So whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So these were things that actually the Father was doing through the Son in the same way that we, uh, you know, John 1 uses this language of God. God the Father is the creator. God the Father is the creator. And Jesus as the eternal Logos, as the vessel of creation, the one through whom he creates. And in his earthly ministry, it was the same way. God the Father really was the healer. But he's healing through Jesus because Jesus is completely submitted and surrendered to him, a completely open vessel, leaning on the Father was able to accomplish this work through Jesus. A lot more of y'all agree with the first one than agree with the third one, but that's all right. Fourth, the healing ministry of Jesus continues through those who submit to his way. When we submit to the way of Jesus, we have an encounter with Jesus, what actually happens is we become possessed by the same Holy Spirit. I like, I like to say the spirit of holiness. We become possessed by the very same spirit that possessed Jesus. And so that's why Jesus said you will do even greater things than these, not because we're better than him. No, God forbid. But because there's more of us and his spirit has access to all of us. So his Holy Spirit continues the healing, of, the healing ministry of Jesus has not stopped. And if it's slowed down, it's only because we have not fully submitted ourselves and been willing participants, been willing participants in the healing ministry of Jesus. But honestly, I think that everybody in some way, shape, or form has been called into this ministry. It's not just... Uh, the gift of healing is not just a gift that one person has, okay? And we're going to spend most of our time today talking about um, healing through obedience, but I'll tell you guys another story. So I had this situation. This was maybe a week, maybe, maybe two weeks ago. So I work in a prison. I'm a chaplain in a prison. And the guy who is my assistant, is uh, he's in his mid-50s. He's been in prison 
most of the last 30 years. He's serving a life sentence due to be paroled, actually, in a couple of years. Awesome guy. His name is John, and he was having these chronic headaches, like debilitating eight-hour-long headaches that nothing would touch. He would go to bed and have to sleep it off. He couldn't do anything when his head was throbbing like this, and he was actually worried and scheduled to go in, uh, I think, for an MRI. And so... Um, I'm a believer. Spencer mentioned the patchouli. I am a believer in oils. So in my office at the prison, I am not supposed to have glass bottles of oil. Yeah, I don't tell anybody. I'm also not supposed to be burning incense in there, but I do those things. <laughs> and so I have, I had some oils over there and I was, I was sitting there thinking about John and I was like, I wonder, I wonder what oil is good for a headache. And so I got on my computer I want to seem like I'm like really just this empowered person, but I really had no idea what I was doing. I got on my computer and I typed in, what essential oils are good for a headache? <laughs> my wife will say peppermint. That's her go-to. But one that I found that I didn't know about was frankincense. And, you know, frankincense is, has strong significance in Scripture. And I happen to have a, a, an ounce of frankincense in my office. And so I'm reading this thing, okay, what do you do with the frankincense? I know with the peppermint, you put it on your forehead, but I didn't have any peppermint oil in there. And it said for frankincense, you actually put it on your finger and rub it on the roof of your mouth, and it'll take away a headache. So I called John in, and again, I want to be like, look, brother, if you believe, you will be healed right now. But what I told him was, I said, John, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I have never heard of anybody putting frankincense inside their body, and if this kills you, I'm really sorry. <laughs> But this article right here says if you rub the frankincense on the roof of your mouth, that it'll heal you. And if your headache gets bad enough, it might be worth a try. Okay? Don't tell anybody you got the frankincense for me, any of that. And, and what I did before I handed in the bottle of frankincense, I, I held it in my hand and I prayed. God, I know you love John. I know you don't want him to be in pain. So if it be your will, please use this oil to give him some relief from these headaches. John took it, rubbed it on his mouth, hasn't had a headache since. And again, this is from somebody, I have no idea what I'm doing. But just kind of stepping out there, this is how God wants to use each and every one of us together as the body of Christ. This is one of the things that the body of Christ did when the body of Christ was walking around on the earth. He healed people. And he wants to continue to heal people through us. So some other facts about the healing ministry of Jesus. Jesus often healed, but he seldom healed the same way twice. In fact, there are at least three instances of Jesus healing the blind, and he used a different method each time. And guess what? Nobody got to pick how they were healed. You know, I guarantee you the guy that got the spit rubbed on his eyes would have been like, look, I know for a fact that this guy over here, you just said, you know, be healed, and he was healed. Why do I get the spit? <laughs> Nobody got to pick. And, and I don't know why Jesus used a different method. And I, don't, I don't know why nobody got to pick how they were healed. But my hypothesis is Jesus is, again, Jesus is deeply personal. And he knew what each individual needed. And so he was able to adjust his method to the specific needs of each individual. Maybe the guy with the spit, maybe he had a thing. You know what I mean? Maybe he had a thing with germs. I don't know. Maybe he just really needed to be humbled. But Jesus knows exactly what we need. 
And he's determined to give us exactly what we need, whether we want it or not. And Jesus also meets us exactly where we are. Jesus is, is um, you know, yes, Jesus has called us into community, but, you know, this, this, this calling that Jesus makes is deeply personal. It's very, very personal. He speaks to each and every one of us in the voice of his Father in a very personal way. He speaks to each of our hearts. He knows what you need to hear. He knows what I need to hear. And unless me and you need to hear the same thing, he's not going to tell us the same thing. There's, of course, a lot of difference of opinion when it comes to who Jesus is, who Jesus was. If you asked a Muslim, a Jew, and a Christian who Jesus is, you would get three different answers. In fact, if you ask three different Christians who Jesus is, you might get three different answers. But it's very interesting. Everyone seems to agree with the idea that Jesus was a powerful healer. No matter what else they believe about him. And and look, I'm not saying that's enough. I'm not saying that's enough just to believe that. I'm just saying that's a good starting point. Everybody seems to agree that Jesus was this powerful healer. I have a quote that I want to share from a man named Geza Vermes. I think we have it. Do we have it? Okay, awesome. There he is. Uh, so Geza Vermes was um, Professor Emeritus of Jewish Studies at Oxford University. So for one thing, this is an incredibly intelligent man. For another thing, he's not Christian. He's Jewish. So this is somebody coming from the Jewish tradition saying this about Jesus. The Jesus of the Gospels is a charismatic, prophetic preacher and miracle worker. The outstanding Galilean Hasid, which basically means um, holy man. It comes from the Hebrew word hesed, which means loving kindness, piety and loving kindness. Galilean Hasid, who thanks to the sublimity, distinctiveness, and originality of his ethical teaching, stood head and shoulders above the known representatives of this class of spiritual personality. Again, not saying that's enough. We want to go further. We want to say, okay, yeah, but he's also the pre-incarnate Logos. I get that. But here you have a Jewish man who is saying, even among other Jewish healers, and there were plenty in that that day, uh, people like Honi the circle maker, Hanani ben Joseph, who are also known as healers, that this Jewish man is saying, but Jesus is in a class all by himself. Because of the originality of his teaching, because of his healing ministry, nobody can touch Jesus. To me, this affirmation of Jesus as a spirit-filled healer, coming from someone outside of the Christian tradition, is very hopeful. And uh, Spencer mentioned he and I like to talk about other religions when we sit around smelling incense. I just love Jesus. And I will look for Jesus under any rock. If I think he might be under there, I don't care. If somebody can teach me something about Jesus, if if somebody can bring me closer to Jesus, if somebody can help me to be conformed, and, and I have a long way to go in my prayer life, but one of the things that I pray every morning when I get up is, God, make me like Jesus in my devotion to you and in my compassion for your creation. Make me like Jesus. And those were the things that marked Jesus. He had this compassion for God's creation. 
but that compassion was rooted in his devotion to Yahweh. Laura, will you bring me that bottle of water? I'm so sorry. Y'all get to meet my wife? Yeah, that's it. Sorry. Thank you. Yes, sir. Give Laura a hand. My daughter is so glad I didn't make her do that. Okay. So let's, um, let's read some scripture. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Everybody still with me? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you all for being so patient. It's about time I got around to some scripture, right? Luke chapter 17, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 19. Okay? On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with skin diseases approached him. Keeping their distance from him, they raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they left, they were cleansed or they were healed. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus replied, weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned to praise God except for this foreigner. Then Jesus said unto him, get up and go, your faith has healed you. Our primary focus here in this passage is verse 14. As they went, they were cleansed. In this story, ten people were healed. Only one came back, but that's a different sermon. Okay, so look at this. Again, we're talking about Jesus being a healer, and Jesus healed many different people of many different afflictions, but he rarely ever healed the same way twice. So ten people get healed, nobody gets touched, nobody is spat upon. Jesus doesn't command the sickness to leave, he doesn't command them to be healed. No, he simply gives these ten individuals an assignment. And in the process of fulfilling this assignment, they experienced healing. As they went, they were healed. He gave them a command. They followed the command. They weren't healed before they followed the command. They weren't healed after they followed the command. They were healed while they were following the command. In the process. Jesus is directing them to comply with the Levitical law as it relates to skin diseases. If, um, if y'all have some extra time, you can go read... Leviticus 13 and 14. In fact, you know what? Read Leviticus 11 through 15. I find Leviticus to be very interesting, but there's something probably wrong with me. But when you read through there, you see all these, these codes. And part of it is Jesus is uh, the Levitical law is talking about how to deal with people who have leprosy or other skin diseases. And really that term leprosy was kind of a catch-all for anybody who had any kind of skin disease because they really weren't sure but you had to go through that process the same just in case you do have 
leprosy of some sort of kind of a contagious skin disease. So Leviticus 13 and 14 demonstrate that a person who has been cleansed of leprosy must be declared clean by who? By the priest. And so this is what Jesus is telling them to do. This is what Jesus is telling these guys to do while they're still sick with leprosy. He's telling them, go to the priest and they know what time it is. Go to the priest so that he can declare you healed. But they're not healed. So you see the faith that these individuals have to have. Because if they just roll up to the priest and they're still covered in leprosy and like, hey man, we're here to be declared clean, they're going to look really dumb. So there was an element of faith here that even while they were still sick, they went on a journey to the priest so that they might be declared clean. Their obedience was an act of faith. They weren't healed merely by faith, but by faithfulness, which is faith put into action. And faithfulness, obedience, leads to healing of body and mind. I'm probably going to say this later, but just, just to make sure I do, that I cover this, the, the, the message here is not that if you're righteous, God will always heal you, or that if you're sick, it's because there's sin in your life. That's not what this is about. Sickness shows up for a lot of different reasons, and most of the time, we don't know why. It's just simply to say that the more that we submit to God and the more obedient that we become to His Word, we will trend towards health and vitality. I do believe that. I do believe that there is a, a deep and a tight connection between holiness and health. It's not 100%, but we will trend towards health and vitality. The more that we submit to God, the more obedient that we become to Him. Okay, we're going to read another passage. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20. And before I even read this passage, I want to let you know, so this is the passage where Yahweh Elohim gives his reason for providing the law to the Hebrews. So think about this. A lot of times we tend to think, okay, God's way in the Old Testament of forgiving sins was through the law and through the sacrificial system. And then in the New Testament, we get grace through Jesus Christ. When really the Old Testament law never had anything to do with forgiveness of sins. Do you realize that there's no sacrifice if you, in the whole sacrificial system, there is no sacrifice for intentional sin. So you can't go and commit an intentional sin and then come and offer God a sacrifice and expect that to, to make you right with God. No, the only thing that can make you right with God is the same thing that makes you right with God now, which is repentance. Telling God you're sorry and then going and making it right if you can. There's no sacrifice for that. So the Old Testament law actually had nothing to do with forgiveness. Just want to plant that seed. Deuteronomy 30, beginning in verse 15. Yahweh speaks, look here, today I've set before you life and what is good versus death and what is wrong. If you obey the Lord your God's commandments that I'm commanding you right now by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments, his regulations and his case laws, 
Then you will live and thrive, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and so are misled, worshiping other gods and serving them, I'm telling you right now that you will definitely die. You will not prolong your life on the fertile land that you are crossing the Jordan River to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth as my witnesses against you right now. I have set life and death, blessing and curse before you. Now choose life. So notice God is not just like, I don't care which one you choose. I'm giving you two two choices and I'm telling you which one to take. Now choose life so that you and your descendants will live by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice and by clinging to him. That's how you will survive and live long on the fertile land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So again, in this passage, Yahweh is giving his reason for providing the law to the Hebrews. Notice it has nothing to do with salvation, if by salvation we mean forgiveness and eternal life. Forgiveness and eternal life are always free gifts that come from God. So in other words, there's nothing that you can do, there's no work that you can perform by which you can earn forgiveness and eternal life. They're just there. And and the only thing that you can do really is you either receive it or you don't. But God has freely given forgiveness and eternal life for anybody who repents, who comes to him and receives this free gift, right? Right? (laughs) Okay. So when he gives the law, it has nothing to do with that. No, he says, I'm giving you the law so that you will survive and live long upon the land. In other words, so that you will live a blessed and healthy life. Forgiveness and eternal life are gifts that we cannot earn. But God has so much more for us than just forgiveness. He gives us his law for healing and vitality. To go back and to quote that passage again, he says, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments, his regulations, and his case laws, then you will live and thrive. There's nothing arbitrary about the law of God. I think that I haven't gone through and counted, but from what I'm told, there are 613 laws in the Hebrew scriptures, what we refer to as the Old Testament. Cameron, does that sound right? Okay. So there's the Ten Commandments really that are at the center of that, and then the others are sort of built as fences around it so that you don't even approach the Ten Commandments. And you go through these laws, and again, if you, if you have the time and you are awake and of stable mind and read Leviticus, you'll see all these things that God is asking the Hebrews to do and not do. And sometimes it can seem very arbitrary, but if you look into the laws that he gives, the laws are not arbitrary. For example, and listen, I might offend some of y'all because I'm going to talk about diet. Okay? Just don't be offended. The dietary laws found in Leviticus chapter 11 and in Deuteronomy chapter 14. So there is a, uh, there's a ban on shellfish, right? Well, look, some of y'all like to eat lobster, okay? So you know that when you cook a lobster, you got to cook it while it's alive. So that's why you're in the restaurant and you hear the person holding the top, the lid onto the pot, and you hear the lobster beating on it and screaming. 
which is kind of terrible. But if you cook the lobster after it dies and then you eat the lobster, then it's toxic and it could kill you. So how many people had to die before they realized? I mean, did the lobster taste that good? You know, we got to figure out some way to cook this thing. I'll just cook it while it's still alive. So, so God is saying, hey, how about instead of doing all that, which they probably didn't have the capacity to even do that, don't eat shellfish. Right? You eat it, it might kill you. It tastes good, but it could possibly kill you. There was an old, uh, there was an old preacher one time named Rufus Mosley, and somebody asked him, can I get to heaven eating pork? And his answer was, yes, in fact, you might get there faster that way. <laughs> okay? So again, no judgment here. I don't eat pork, but I can eat my weight in chocolate, which is 135 pounds, if anybody's wondering. <laughs> but there's a reason that God is, is saying, of course, it's not... Not everything in the law is a matter of heaven and hell. But there are some things, y'all, that are not a matter of heaven and hell, but very well could be a matter of life and death. And God cares about life. He tells us right there in Deuteronomy 30, I don't just want you to be forgiven of your sins so that you can come live with me in heaven forever. I put you on the earth so that you could live a long, healthy, vital life on the earth. And glorify my name and bring my kingdom on the earth. And this is why God has given us his laws. Nobody's forcing us to obey them. But if we ignore them, then sometimes we can expect for there to be consequences for that. There's a town in California called Loma Linda. And... A large portion of the population of Loma Linda, California, are Seventh-day Adventists. And uh, Seventh-day Adventists, in case you didn't know, they're they're Christ-centered. They believe in Jesus. They keep the Old Testament dietary and hygiene laws. And they keep the Sabbath. I mean, they really keep the Sabbath. Like on Saturday, they spend time with their family. They go for a walk in nature, but they don't do any work. They worship. They rest. The life expectancy... In Loma Linda, California, is 10 years beyond the national average. 10 years. It's almost 90 years life expectancy in Loma Linda, California. And people have racked their brains trying to figure out why these people are living so long. And that's really the only thing that they can come back to is these people keep the dietary and hygiene laws from the Old Testament. They keep the Sabbath and they're Christ-centered. And so to my knowledge... It's the only example of a bunch of people living in one place, a large community of people in one place who are committed to keeping those laws, who are committed to keeping the Sabbath, and and who are also Christ-centered. So salvation is not simply a matter of being forgiven and going to heaven. It is also a matter of living a fruitful life that brings honor to God and that manifests his kingdom upon the earth. This is what God has for us. And listen, this is not to put any guilt on anybody because all of us have got our hangups, myself included. It's not about that. It's not a matter of heaven and hell. It's not a matter of being forgiven. It's a matter of living the vital life that God wants you to live. 
I was telling this to, to a person one time. We were having this discussion, and he said, well, you know, Jesus died young. And I said, yeah, I know, but he wasn't sick when he died. <laughs> right? It's also, again, not to put any guilt on anybody who's gone through sickness. I've gone through plenty of sickness. God teaches us through sickness. He draws us closer to himself. Sometimes there's a real divine purpose in sickness. But it's just the general rule, the general principle, that the more that we submit to God, the more that we obey God, the more that we do the things that God is asking us to do, the less stress we have and the healthier we will become. Again, a deep connection between holiness and health. And neither holiness nor health happen by accident. They happen through the cultivation of a surrendered heart. First and foremost, through the cultivation of a surrendered heart and through an adherence, a principled adherence to obeying God's word. God healed people through Jesus and he continues this healing ministry through us as we become possessed by the same spirit that possessed Jesus. Uh, we, we believe in spirit possession in a good way because Jesus could set us the perfect example, but guess what, man? I can't follow that example. If I just said to myself, I'm going to follow that example. I need something else. And he know, God knows that I need something else. So with the Holy Spirit, it's like Jesus, and, and again, the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that possessed Jesus, the very personality of Jesus, Jesus doesn't just give us the perfect example, but he empowers us from the inside to follow the example. And we need both of those things. We need his Spirit within us to give us the power to give us the motivation to actually go out and implement what he tells us to do and to follow in his footsteps. People are healed through the laying on of hands. People are healed through prayer. Apparently, sometimes people are healed through putting frankincense on the roof of their mouth. People are healed in all kinds of different ways. There's all kinds of different ways that the Holy Spirit wants to work through us to administer healing. There's not just one way. Even Jesus didn't just have one way. There are many different ways. The more we tap into the Spirit, the more we realize how the Spirit wants to use us to participate in this specific ministry of healing, the healing ministry of Jesus. So all of these ways God heals, but let's not overlook the everyday occurrences of healing that are facilitated simply by adhering to God's Word. That's how healing happens most of the time. It happens through principled obedience, submission to God, complete submission and surrender to God, and then a willingness to do as God instructs us to do. This is how the Spirit is still at work in that. The Word of God is sustained by the Spirit of God. You know, without, without the Spirit of God, this is just a book. Unless, unless God meets me in the pages of Scripture, this is just a book. But this book is enlivened by the Spirit. It's sustained and upheld by the Spirit. So God actually communicates His Spirit to me through this book. And that's what makes it Scripture. So the Word of God is sustained by the Spirit of God. So when we align ourselves with God's Word, this is how this works. Again, 
His word is sustained by his spirit. So when we align ourselves with his word, we make ourselves accessible to his spirit. And the spirit of God will take any real estate that is offered to him. So if you make a little bit of yourself accessible, he'll take a little bit. He'll keep asking for more. If you make a lot, he'll take it all. If you make all of it, he'll take all of it. So the more we align ourselves with God's word, the more accessible we become to God's spirit. Now we're lined up. Sometimes sickness is a matter of disconnection, y'all. Sometimes sickness happens because we're not lined up with God's word. We're out of line. And so when that happens, there's a break between us and our source of life. So how can we not be sick? And so sometimes we just need to line ourselves back up to experience more of his healing power. Again, not to say that all sickness is a matter of of disobedience, but we can all experience some measure of his healing by yielding to him more and more. Okay, I want to close by reading two passages of Scripture. The first one, I have to give a disclaimer with this because this one's coming out of the Apocrypha. Okay? And what they say about the Apocrypha is that the Apocrypha is useful for personal instruction, for personal ethic, but not for doctrine. I'm just going to put myself out on a limb. I never really understood that because if it shows me how to live, that seems to be the point of doctrine anyway. But never mind that. So this is from um, a book called The Wisdom of Solomon. Who gave a yet yeah of that? Okay. All right. Can I get an amen for 2nd Maccabees? No, we're not really. 5th <laughs> Enoch, anybody? All right. So, well, we're going to stick with the wisdom of Solomon. This is Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Do not seek death through the error of your ways. Do not invite destruction on yourself by what you do. God did not make death. God takes no delight in the ruin of anything that lives. God created everything so that it might exist. The creative forces at work in the cosmos are life-giving. Read that again. The creative forces at work in the cosmos are life-giving. There is no destructive poison in them. The underworld does not rule upon the earth. Doing what is right means living forever. I'm going to close with a passage from the letter of James in the New Testament. This is James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And then we'll have a prayer time. Actually, I'm going to read, start back in verse 19. uh, James 1, 19 through 25. Know this, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is because an angry person does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, with humility, set aside all moral filth and the growth of wickedness and welcome the word planted deep inside of you, the very word that is able to save you. So again, thinking about obedience, thinking about those 10 lepers, you must be doers of the word and not only hearers who mislead themselves. Those who hear the word but do not do the word are like those who look at their faces in a mirror. 
They look at themselves, walk away, and immediately forget what they were like. But there are those who study the perfect law, the law of freedom, and continue to do it. They do not listen and then forget, but they put it into practice in their lives, and they will be blessed in whatever they do. I'm going to invite those who can to to stand. And I want to pray over you this morning. Just invite you to close your eyes and just lift your hands out in a um, receptive posture. Because I really do believe, and God has made this my focus, that God really does actually want to administer healing in this place this morning. That He wants to heal broken hearts. That He wants to restore bodies. That He wants to put minds at ease. And so we pray, oh God, for health of body and for peace of mind. Father God, we look upon the ministry of Jesus and we see him going about motivated by compassion, wanting to relieve people. And we recognize that everything that Jesus did was a reflection of you because he came here to show us your heart. So in your heart, you want people to get better. You want people to be relieved of pain. You want people to be relieved of disease. You want people to be relieved of doubt and depression. You want people to be relieved of guilt and shame. God, you want people to be relieved of addiction. We believe this. And so we stand before you now in a posture of receptivity and we pray, God, do what you want to do in our lives. We're sorry for blocking the way. I'm sorry for blocking the way. Forgive me, Father, for the extent that my life has not lined up with your word. There are things specifically that you've asked me to do that I have not done. There are things that you have asked me to not do that I have rushed to, that I have been chained by. We call upon you today to forgive us, which we know that you are eager to do. You are eager, not reluctant, to forgive. You are eager, not reluctant, to heal and to deliver. So minister to us by way of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would do this as an expression of your love for us. We pray that you would do it for the coming of your kingdom upon the earth and that you would do it in the name of Jesus, who is our Messiah, who is our Christ, and who is our healer. Amen.